0: Coming live from London is our guest this afternoon. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through their industry insights, information or simply learning from them. And today we have Alexandra Davidson, Managing Director at Davidson, London British Luxury Furniture brand. Welcome to the show, Alexandra.
1: Good morning. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on your fantastic show. It's a real honor.
0: Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Alexandra. And we'll be learning how to build a world-class luxury brand and that too with your family and still able to have a lot of fun with them, uh, apart from the business relationships that one shares.
1: Still be able to to speak to them.
0: Right, right. That's that's a great thing. It doesn't happen even in India in family-owned businesses. You can find all those troubles. Several of them, you know, some of them make newspaper headlines. Also, so that's the way it is. Uh, money, money brings in a lot of good goodness as well as a lot of you know rough edges to the relationships that one has. So, coming to the luxury brand part of it, uh, Alexandra, how did this happen? Because you started your a career with a public relations firm, Halpern, and then uh, it's been 20 years now. You are managing this particular luxury brand. Yeah,
1: sure. Yeah, so um, so I would say that actually, Davidson, um, it's been a very organic process, um, which I think actually you often find with family businesses. Um, they are quite a, a, a slow process. Um, And we, my father actually originally started as an antique dealer. Um, And so I grew up with brown furniture all over our house. It was, you know, smelt of furniture polish. Um, There was just very traditional furniture. And in the recession, uh, which was in the 90s, the antiques market was hit really quite severely. And my parents decided to go into very high-end reproduction furniture because we had a selection of suppliers around the UK, a small ecosystem that we could support that could make the furniture that we wanted. So we started going into this. And we weren't in London at that point. and as the business grew and then I joined the business when I was in my early 20s, um, we decided to move to Mayfair, which uh, you know is in the centre of London. It's where all of the leading luxury furniture brands are. And it was really there that we, we started seeing that we had real potential to make the brand a luxury brand. Um, and when you decide to make something a luxury brand, A lot of work goes into that. So you're not only building the business, but you're actually building a brand and a luxury brand at that. So it has been organic, but there has been a huge amount of strategy along the way. Um, And we've invested a lot of money into it as well. You know, a lot of marketing, um, really ensuring that all of our designs are super high quality, really ensuring that we're getting to the right kind of people. Um, to ensure that we're selling the furniture so they can then spread the word to friends, colleagues, family, um, advertising in the right places. Uh, so it's it's been a real journey, but it's been a fun journey.
0: Okay, you make it sound a lot of fun, you make it sound easy, but I am I can tell you, eh, no journey uh, is an easy one, even if it's full of roses everybody forgets about the thorns but the person who walks on it knows about it so we'll Actually. talk about your difficult childhood also when you faced with different difficulties and other stuff and then you know uh, later on uh, you built up this brand and it is not an easy task to manage relationships in this business which uh, which is very highly competitive so tell us how does one Look at luxury today. Uh, if you look even in a place like Britain, a lot of this whole discussion goes on that you know people should try and uh, tone down the way they live, and they should not spend so much of things uh, that are so luxurious, and others are at the same time uh, having to deal with uh, you can say poverty. All, all around so how do you manage that sort of a discussion or uh, debate that happens in social circles even in the higher circles i yeah. can tell you it happens so even in india it happens so just want to understand yeah. from your perspective
1: well well in fact actually that is a great question so thank you very much for asking me um I think that luxury for us and, you know, I'm not going to answer for other luxury brands out there, but for us, luxury actually does really tie in with our sustainability because just this year we have launched our buy once campaign. Um, So with our buy once campaign. Basically, what we promote is that you buy a piece of furniture for us and it lasts a lifetime and it gets passed through generations because what you're seeing in the opposite of luxury is fast fashion, fast luxury, fast interiors um, where pieces are made, but they only last a couple of years and then they get thrown away. So, what we do and what we define as luxury is really that you are buying a piece of furniture that will last a lifetime, that the quality will stand the test of time, um, and that the design is classic as well, because for us that is what luxury is, it's, it's quality, it's craftsmanship. We are supporting an ecosystem of workers, especially over here in the UK where You know, the the furniture industry, the manufacturing market is really dying. But there are really skilled artisans out there and craftsmen that we really want to support. So, yes, I can understand that luxury can have a bad tone to it. But in fact, actually, I feel really proud because I feel like we're working with our sustainability um, goals as well.
0: Right. Right. Even in India, there were uh, several sectors and all these sectors, the luxury market, even during COVID, when other sectors were uh, reeling because of the impact of COVID, some of this uh, luxury market or luxury segments were doing quite okay, especially in terms of, say, housing and all that stuff. So that's why I, I asked this question so that, you know, you uh, you will be able to actually give your own understanding to this particular stuff, because generally, as you, as you said, a luxury can have a sort of a negative tone to it. If people understand it differently or see it uh, in a very, very narrow sense. Now coming to your uh, building of this luxury brand, uh, Alexandra, yeah, how did it happen? Like, is it that it, it obviously cannot happen in a day. You just can't say we are building a luxury brand and that, then it happens. It does not. So how did you take those early steps so that people who are listening to you can actually understand and learn from your yeah. experience and emulate it in whatever they are planning to do or they are doing at least in this in this particular segment?
1: Yeah, sure. So. Um... I mean, in in the first instance, and, you know, you've got to remember, so when I first started in the business 20 years ago, you know, there was no such thing as social media at that point. Um, You know, the internet had only just started to come about. So, you know, how I would talk about building a luxury brand now is totally different to what it was like back then. So... You know, back then I had just left working in a PR company and, you know, I joined the, the family firm um, and it was very much about relationships at that point um, and public relations, getting in front of the right people, um, selling your furniture to the right people uh, and and. And, and advertising, we did spend quite a lot of money in advertising in the right publications. So Condé Nast, um, which is you know a worldwide publication, we worked with the World of Interiors um, a great deal. But then kind of over time, we moved to Chelsea Harbour after we'd been in Mayfair for a couple of years. And I think, you know, the positioning of our brand was uh, that was a really good move. So we've been at the design centre in Chelsea Harbour now for, um, for for nearly 19 years. Um, and it's the biggest design centre in, in Europe. So that certainly has been um, a really good way to grow the brand relatively easily because, you know, people are always coming there. But then um, before COVID, we really invested heavily and actually got a marketing team. Um, And with that marketing team, I would say that in my role, that is where I spend most of my time, really forward thinking the whole time. What are we launching? What is our message? Who are we trying to get in front of? Um, And what we find is the more um, the more clients we can get in front of the more and the more people who buy our furniture, the more opportunity we have, because we can then normally take photographs of the furniture in their property um, that get then that then gets put out into social media. Um, it gets put onto our website. We invest really heavily uh, with digital marketing, which is really important. and. Our marketing manager she has she's always on training for learning about how things are changing with marketing online because there is always so much that is changing, you know, like social media has changed recently, where the algorithms all changed, and that kind of you know slowed things up a little bit for us. Um, so, yeah, I think it's important to have a really strong strategy but always be really two steps ahead, uh, especially with your marketing but and your design as well. So we try and bring out probably six new items of furniture every half a year and then three fitted items. And then all of those pieces, you know, they get promoted. Our sales team will then have a sales strategy to go and, go out to clients and sell those pieces introduce those pieces you know it's never like um a hard sell it's always like everything in our industry is about relationship building so we're just constantly building the relationship with our end clients through conversations visual um website etc
0: right right Alexandra now Uh, In your 20 years of experience, can you tell us what do uh, people look for in luxury furniture? What what is it that they are looking for? It's not that they don't have a sofa at their home. So they are looking for one and because they need it. Uh, Yeah. they, They are looking for something special. And what is it that they always look for? And you know that this is what they would like how do you yeah
1: sure um okay so for us we are a great british brand so we've been voted a great british brand twice in a in a row now um and what that means is that we have really tight control over our craftsmanship um and our design so i think when I think when clients are looking for uh, luxury, they are ultimately always looking for something special and it's, there's multiple things. So I think the brand has to sell a story to them. So they have to feel like the brand is talking to them, you know, that they have that connection, so that will become that will be through the words that we use or the visual content that we put out to to the world. Um, the second thing is the quality. You know, when when we to the people that we sell to they're you know, they're ultra high net worth individuals, um, they want the best. They want. Uh, something that is going to look so incredibly super stylish. Um, and I think that we, we tick all of those boxes. Um, but I think the real thing is, I think for us personally, the quality, the design and the British craftsmanship is really what speaks to our clients the most when they are looking to buy a luxury piece.
0: Okay, okay. Now, as you said, you bring around uh, about six pieces, uh, different designs on a half yearly basis, if I heard it correct. Correct. How early do you start uh, thinking about those stuff, new designs? How does this whole design thing works? Who does this thinking? You yourself uh, have a great understanding of this, but just to ask from you, who does this thinking how does it work where do you get your inspirations because a lot of other competitors are also in the market they must be having also talented people talented uh, places where yeah. they are so from. yeah so how yeah does yeah it sure work for you
1: well i think um, the thing is is i mean our family you know we've been in antiques and design for, you know, my whole of my father's career and the whole of my career. So um, I do have a passion in furniture and, you know, and anything kind of creative in terms of design. Um, So and also the team that we work with. So we have uh, a selection of designers who work for us um, and their background has always been in design, too and i think you know when when you have that you you're always going to say exhibitions um you follow follow galleries on social media you're you're following and getting lots of inspiration the whole time obviously pinterest is is a is a really big thing as well for inspiration but the process um so my father is the one who designs the furniture and he works alongside other designers who will kind of take his brief. Um, I do get involved in the design side of things, but my main area really is kind of like the, the finance, the marketing, and just kind of the general managing director duties. Um, but yeah, so we will probably, we will be working six months in advance. to, to, to each piece because the piece has to go through quite a long process before it ends up you know on our website or on our showroom floor um so you know we have to design it to ensure that it's it's compatible and it's been designed in the right way you know a lot of people think that you can just design something on sketch and make it but the technicalities of design is actually quite complicated. And you need to make sure that you have people who understand that. Otherwise, what can happen is you end up making a piece of furniture that is complicated to make, which therefore makes it hugely expensive to manufacture, which is, you know, you've got to find that balance. Um, You want to be making furniture that is relatively straightforward to manufacture. So, it has, you know, a value that is saleable um, because it's expensive to manufacture in the UK. So you you go through that kind of design process and then you know you speak to the workshop, they give their feedback, you sign off the design, it then gets made. So that is technically the prototype. Um, and then that prototype will get signed off. Um, and then the marketing team will jump onto it. So it'll be like, right, that's where all of the fun starts. So, you know, how can we market this? What kind of story has it got? You create the look books, you create the story. You know, you have a really strong narrative behind this piece of furniture. Um, and the visuals start uh, and you start promoting it. And, you know, and then the inquiries come in and then the sales team can deal with it. So. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of work that goes into, and then all of the admin behind that as well. So, ensuring all of the lookbooks are updated, spec sheets, costing sheets, um, it's quite a quite a long process for one piece, I would say.
0: Right, Alexandra. Right.
1: Mm. Now, coming to
0: the pricing part of a particular product, you yeah. see, if it's a if it's a general product, people see that okay people are looking for discounts they are looking for the best price but you yeah. are into a market where you have got hnis you know people who have got lots of money and they are there to buy a story and yes. you know that you can uh, ask for a higher price if you want to uh, or if you can but uh, obviously that's not the way one one has to one can look at things so yeah. how does it work how do you work out the pricing part of furniture for i'm asking for furniture but this is in a way some sort of you know understanding for people who want into the luxury market of other things also that, so that yeah. they know the sensitivities and sensibilities uh involved here
1: yeah sure i mean look at the end of the day you know the the pricing is uh is always something that we're looking at the whole time because it you know, we're a business, it's so important. Right. Um, we could make more money if we wanted to, but we, the, the basically we make to order. So we don't hold okay. stock. So we don't want to hold stock because we believe things, you know, they change all the time, people's desires, you know, a, a piece might go out of fashion. Um, so we don't actually hold stock. If we did hold stock, We would be able to, you know, our margin would increase. But we decided to make that, you know, choice and not do it that way. Um, But with regards to pricing, I think it's really important to be very aware of other brands around you. So you need to be very, very clear on who your competitors are. And that would be whether they were a British competitor an Italian competitor, German, you know, Indian, Chinese, whatever, you know, wherever they're from. For us, the majority of our competitors are Italian. Um, There's a lot of, there's a big market for furniture in Italy. So we are always looking at their pricing as well, you know, and it all kind of sits roughly in the same, same line um and we are always working with our competitors to ensure that we can make this piece of furniture in a way that is not going to just cost a price that it's impossible for you know anyone to buy it or for us to you know generate any profit from it um so i think i think we we have quite a small supplier base um and so we really you know we we really bond with our suppliers. We build strong relationships because they're so important to us. We don't necessarily want to be looking too far overseas to be to be manufacturing. Although we do have, you know, we do have various other suppliers in Europe, but the majority of them are in the UK. Um, and I think really just ensuring that the pricing, you know, if pricing starts going up having that conversation right at the beginning to ensure, see where we can try and maintain it, because no company wants somewhere where their pricing is just going up all the time. And we have had that, you know, in the last couple of years with COVID, all of pricing, it's just been, it's been really challenging. And I think that's where actually contracts are very useful for suppliers. You know, because you need to be able to know that one week your price is X and the next week it's not going to be Z. You need to have, as a business, you need to have confidence that the pricing is going to stay relatively the same. So I would say that contracts, if there are people out there who are looking to form relationships with suppliers, that a contract is something that is is really important.
0: Right. Right. Now, uh, Alexandra, coming to the sales part of it. Yeah. It's a very different sort of a store that you have uh, uh, and not uh, uh, any other uh, shop or uh, brand which deals with, you know, mass customers. Their salespeople will try to sell more and more. But in your case, it's a very select group of customers. uh, And how if they come to the store and look at, uh, look at the furniture uh, all there just to have a better understanding of what designs okay. there are. What is your advice for people who are into this sort of stuff or are planning to? How do you in, uh, interact with your customer or potential customer, potential buyer? Because uh, you don't know, they may talk something or, and they may act some, some, uh, differently. So yeah. a salesperson is always in a very uh, difficult position, whether to open his mouth uh, or not. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, what is your training to your people, if you can share? You don't have to share your trade secrets. And, uh, and what yeah. is your advice to people who are into this sort of a segment, uh, who will gain some knowledge out of their, uh, uh, 20 years of experience?
1: um so well that is a great question and i've actually been um in the sales team myself for you know i was in the sales team for about 15 years um so i have had a lot of experience with this um i think I mean, as a salesperson, you have to be kind of, uh, you have to understand people. So, you know, if you don't understand people, you're probably not going to be a particularly good salesperson. So you have to understand and read vibes from people. But I think in the very first instance, the salesperson has to lead it. Um, So, you know, if someone was to come into the showroom, you always say hello with a smile, you know, and, uh, and one of the things I think the best salespeople can lead things without actually the, the person realizing it. So you're kind of like guiding them. You know, you're, you're, you're building that relationship and you're guiding them through. And you're just being helpful. And you're planting seeds the whole time. Um, a direct kind of sales approach I don't think personally works for the type of industry that we are but that said you know there will be people who come in who just don't want to speak to you and then that's fine you know you kind of back off because you don't want to pee someone off um uh, and then there are some people who just really want to chat and they get really into it. And that's, you know, that's where you can really build the best relationships. But I think kind of understanding people, you know, sometimes it will be a husband and wife and the husband and wife just disagree on everything, which is really <laughs> you know, I've got a lot of experience with that, you just become a mediator. <laughs> you know, you're, um, and then, you know, I've had a couple of times where people have been really, you know, really quite kind of unfriendly, or just very short, you know, and it's fine, it's, it is what it is, like, they just might not want to speak to you. But the majority of the time, I think if you can kind of lead it, and you are You know, you're saying in a nice kind of engaging, subtle way, what you can offer. The majority of the time, people just follow that because it's, it's the natural leadership within that process. Um, so we, we find that really effective and that's, that's how we train our sales team as well. Right. And do you
0: also have discounts, uh, and should a luxury brand have discounts for its customers?
1: Yeah. I mean, good question. Um, I mean, you know, we, we get asked, we get asked about discounts a lot. Uh, funnily enough, actually, we don't get asked so much in the last year over COVID. It was, you know, it was all the time, you know, people just wanted a deal. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we, so what we, what we tend to do is we don't you know we don't promote like say that we've got a sale across our website okay. but what we will do is we will do a private invitation to a private sale to the people on our database so you know that email would go out to say 18,000 people and then they would get informed of there might be twice a year where we do a private event and it will last for a certain amount of time we might do, you know, a promotion on say s- certain a certain line of furniture, so that would, you know, there would be a discount applied to those pieces. Um, we try not to say the word discount. Um, we might say a reduced price okay. um, or um, an opportunity to buy um, at a special price. Okay. but we try not to say the word discount just because we just don't think it kind of runs in line with luxury um and then you know we can do overall prices so say if someone was going to buy a dining table a side cabinet and a set of dining chairs you know we could then apply an overall price
0: right right
1: yeah now
0: coming to the family part of
1: it oh right?
0: yeah as per you uh, you are enjoying true success because uh, you work with your husband mother father and sister and you still <laughs> yeah. manage to sit around the table on weekends and enjoy lunch tell Absolutely. us about about <laughs> this part of this success and how did you manage to do this
1: um well it can be challenging sometimes um yeah, it can be really, really challenging. But I think, I think the thing is, is that I'm so used to it. You know, I'm, I'm uh, nearly 44 now and I've been in the business since I was 20. So you get used to being mildly irritated by your family all the time. Uh, Now, I don't mean that in a nasty way, because, you know, I love my family. I wouldn't be able to do what I do if I didn't. Um, I think sometimes, you know, anyone who works in a family business would be lying if they didn't sometimes think, oh, my God, why am I doing this? You know. But the thing is, is that what I always think is when I get to the end of my life, and I look back on everything that I have achieved, will I regret working in my family business? And the answer is no, not at all. Because, you know, I I am with my family the whole time and my family is very, very important to me. Like a lot of people, you know, family is the most important thing. Um, And it's a real experience. It's a huge experience. Sometimes it's so stressful and you just feel like throwing the whole thing away and just walking away from it. But when things are good, they are so damn good. You know, you're like, yes, we are doing this family. But then ultimately when things are bad, you're just like, oh, they're really bad. but funnily, funnily enough actually working when my husband joined the business he was the easiest person to actually start working with because i got used to being you know having this frustration of like you know being you know mildly kind of frustrated a lot um so i just kind of like he was the easiest because he was the last person to to join the business um and husbands have to agree also all the time well absolutely right i'm glad (laughs) you understand
0: this (laughs) Uh,
1: but yeah i mean look if anyone was thinking about going into a family business i would say please definitely give it a try because if you can make it work it's really special it really is it's but you know like with anything it comes with its challenges and i think you do need to learn to be very resilient
0: right right alexandra now uh, a different different difficult part of it is the division of work how does uh this work who decides how do you know you know that who is good at what but then somebody may want to do something else and Everybody wants a lot of people. It's human nature to be calling the shots, but to manage things actually on the ground is a difficult thing. So how do you? How did you come to this division of work? Who will do what?
1: Yeah. And how has it
0: continued to work uh, in your case, Uh, or have you had to make changes in between?
1: Yeah. No, we have. We have made changes. I mean, I've only been managing director. I think probably for about eight years or maybe 10 years. So my father was managing director before. Uh, Now he's chairman. Um, And he's actually also one of our key top selling sales team members. Um, He's also our designer. Um, And then Claudia, my sister, she was in marketing, but then she decided to move into sales because, you know, she's fantastic with building relationships. Um, and in fact, actually, my husband is also part of the sales team. He's more into new business. So I think the thing with the family business, and and in fact, actually, you know, I'm talking with my managing director head on now as well, that, you know, you have to be able to have conversations where, I, you know, I'm leading that conversation and I'm like, look, this is where I think you are best placed. Let's talk about that. Let's confirm that you're happy with that. And then let's set that up. Um, it's just about having open conversations and being really aware of your surroundings the whole time so you know is claudia right in the sales team still is matthew right in the sales team still should we do it be doing a bit of moving around you know that's just part of my job as a managing director but i do that with with everyone you know i'm doing that with the business I'm just fully aware of my surroundings and the team and what is going on the whole time. Because you need to be constantly adjusting things, moving things around, tweaking things to ensure that, you know, you're always moving in the right direction. Um, So I kind of find that part quite uh, well, I really enjoy that part. Um, And. Yeah it's i you know for me i don't find that particularly challenging i think it's it's just all about being able to have an open conversation and just communicating well
0: right and in a business like yours or any other how do you see it if there are differences of opinion or mm. differences of you know how to take the business forward that also becomes a bone of contention yeah. sometimes uh, how who who finally settles it is it the managing director or is it a sister uh, is yeah. it your father how does it work it, that should, should one look at it from an official
1: point of view
0: or yeah. is it, should it look at from a family point of view what yeah works so better?
1: um yeah so that's a good question um so basically how it works is the i tend to kind of set the plan for the year, and then I take it to the board, and we discuss it and sign it off in a board meeting. So when we have board meetings, which is uh, we have a board meeting six times a year, so every other month, um, there is always an agenda. So we work to a budget, so we make sure that you know we're running in line with our budget, that everything that we would put together as the strategy and plan at the beginning of the year, that, you know, financially, we're working within those uh, guidelines. Um, and then we have goals. So, you know, are we reaching our goals? Um, one of the good things about a family business is, uh, it's, well, for, m- for me anyway, is that we, we kind of tend to agree on most things anyway, because we want what's best for the business so it's quite rare that we would come up against a, an issue where you know it was like half of the people didn't agree and half did but if that did happen it would be put to the board as a vote and we would have to vote it out okay okay yeah my,
0: my last question to you alexandra is that yeah. uh do people know about this business because you were into antique furniture and all that stuff. Yeah. But a lot of people are not, they don't have that background. So yeah. how do you people look at things? Do you always rely on your experience, expertise, understanding of things, or do you also take outside help to uh, understand the trend, some sort of consultant or advisor, whatever you call it, so that you actually look at it from a, outsider's perspective
1: sure um i mean we have used consultants for for various things but not for this area that you are talking about um yeah so you know as i said my father was an antique dealer from you know the age of about 19 so his knowledge on on furniture in general is is vast huge as my mother um my knowledge on furniture i have you know, 23 years of experience of furniture now. So, you know, I would say that I've got a lot of experience too. Um, But, you know, when we're looking at kind of trends and stuff like that, I I think, I think a way that we actually gauge things is actually by our clients. You know, what are our clients asking for? Um, You know, what do they really want? And, and a lot of the time you do see patterns in that. So, you know, I would say that we go by what we feel that we think would work well, but but also listening to what our clients want. And then, you know, maybe marrying the two together. Um, but, you know, the design is, is great. And, you know, I I love working in a design team and I I love working the fact that our company is design because you know I'm I'm a creative person but I'm not necessarily creative as in I want to design furniture um I'm creative in in the fact that I really love creating something whether that be a story or something visual or you know creating a business and growing that business so you know going into a family company that does what we do and and you know i've really helped develop and move that business to where it is now just feel incredibly proud
0: great great and how do people connect with you a lot of businesses want to have you know your style of culture
1: and
0: buy it and whatever way it works yeah
1: well i mean there are many ways um well first of all If anyone wants to ask me any direct questions, I would be really happy to answer them. So you can contact me at LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, uh, my profile is Alexandra Davidson. Um, You can look at our website, which is DavidsonLondon.com. And also you can look at our Instagram, which is also DavidsonLondon so i would say that's the best way you can also find us on linkedin as well for davidson london i'd love anyone out there to follow us so yeah please follow us
0: right right thank you so much for all the answers to some difficult questions also almost bordering on asking your trade secrets but the whole point was to that even a person who is just starting on something and wants to build something on the luxury segment or sector uh, they would get some uh, great ideas from you
1: well i really hope that i was some help to people out there so thank lot you a
0: lot of help lot of help so on this note it's a wrap on this very special edition of the kaj masterclass live thank you so much once again
1: thank you so much <laughs>